saying how much they want a strong woman. What they really want is a cheerleader. I'd like someone who's physically very frail and won't stop talking. I just want what everybody wants. Seem to have a harder time getting it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Maximum Phil. All right, as you know, it is Max Fun Drive, and we just want to remind you: you can join, upgrade, boost your membership, or you can buy a gift membership for a friend or an anonymous Max Funster. All memberships at five dollars a month or more get bonus content access. Uh, and some of that bonus content includes this team here. That's right. We invited our buddy from Fanti, Jarrett Hill, back and discussed a motion picture called Brother to Brother with him. And also Alonzo and I joined Jordan Jesse Go to talk about a Burt Reynolds film called Hooper. You would very much enjoy listening to us speak about it. And you can if you're a member. If you do buy a gift membership, the recipient gets that bonus content as well. We have some stretch goals that we're hoping to reach this year. If we hit 250 maximum film listeners joining or upgrading their membership or buying a gift membership, anyone who helped that happen will enter a drawing to have us do an episode on a movie of their choosing. If we hit 400 maximum film listeners joining or upgrading or giving a gift membership, we're going to finally do that tenant watch along slash drink along as a live stream. And finally, if we can get to 550 maximum Maximum film listeners joining, upgrading, or giving a gift membership, we invite all new and upgrading Max Film listeners to a Zoom happy hour with me, Andrea, and Iffy. That is right. You can do that all again by joining, upgrading, or getting a gift membership at MaximumFun.org slash join. Yes. It's episode 290, repping my Godzilla, who is mighty. It's your host, Ify Wadi Way, and in the booth with me all my friends. So let me introduce you to the hams. First up, we have... Look. One of my favorite people, one of my favorite critics, uh, and I'd say America's best critic, uh, and you can fight me on that. It's none other than the Christmas zaddy himself, charging up yet again as we get close to Christmas in July. Alonzo Duralde, what's good? Girl, it is March, close uh, to Christmas in July. Look, it's cl- March. <laughs> look, it's, we're counting down. The clock has started. It's all relative, Drea. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, what's good with me is two of my favorite companies on earth uh, are, are having a, a collaboration moment, a, a company A, X, company B, uh, uh, if you will. Uh, and that would be Tony's Chocolonely, which is they make those really delicious chocolate bars. And they're also, you know, make a, a, a big thing about sourcing and, you know, avoiding slave labor and, and you know, making sure that they're, they're, you know, giving you the best chocolate, both in flavor and in manufacture. Uh, they are working with the uh, delightful aging hippies over at Ben and Jerry's. So uh, that has manifested in two different ways. You, you, there are two chocolate bars from Tony's you can pick up with the Ben and Jerry uh, imprimatur on it. It's a dark milk chocolate with brownie bar, also a white chocolate strawberry cheesecake bar. Meanwhile, over in your grocer's freezer, they have the Ben and Jerry's Tony's Chocolate Only uh, Chocolatey Love Affair flavor, which is chocolate ice cream with salted caramel swirls, caramel chunks, and sea salt fudge chunks. So um, this is all my reason for living right now, basically. I'm so hungry for all of that, except for the white chocolate. White chocolate's nonsense. I can take or leave it. I've never heard of Tony. Lo- what What did you say? Tony's Chocolate Only. It, it's... Ch- 
Chocolate. I don't. Yeah, I don't know what that means either. But look, it's the kind of thing where the first time you see it in the store, you realize you, your eyes have sort of passed over it, and but then you'll okay. never skip it again because it's so flipping good. Oh, good. Two two great tastes. Also, we love that every. Um, it is rare that companies are run by absolute progressive nutters. Exactly. Good for all of them. Good for all of those people making. Probably a more limited profit. Do your thing. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, you know, you know that sweet voice. We love that sweet voice. It's none other than the queen of the Midwest herself, super festival programmer and producer, Drea Clark. What's good? Um, still located between Hollywood and Koreatown mm. for my reign as the queen of the Midwest. Yes. Always funny. Um, okay, well, what's good? Is something to pass along that perhaps isn't as helpful to all of you, especially perhaps to our um, exciting guest today. But so I'm obsessed with Jonathan Van Ness, as are many people I know who is um, they're the hairdresser person on the new the newer rendition of Queer Eye. And they have a um, YouTube channel, just delightfully sparky. Gay of Thrones was yes, not a yes. Show. Started yes. with Gay of Thrones. Watch all of them. Super funny. But so they do these like rapid fire. Oh, whatever. Anyway, throughout this casual thing, someone was like, "How should you keep your hair when you sleep?" And literally changed how I keep my hair. I was like, "Oh, are you supposed to?" You know, like braid it, like little house on the prairie style, whatever. And they said, no, you're, you should best put it in like a loose bun on the top of your head because your head against a pillow gets really hot. And it's the equivalent of like hot, um, I was going to say hot machines, but I'm thinking of like curling out here, hot styling products, <laughs> hot machines on your head all night. But so the idea is if you put your hair in a bun at the top of your head, it's not getting heated all, as you sleep, which just thinking about that, I was like, oh man, I love thinking of the heat of my head when I sleep and I, I don't sleep in a bonnet, so I don't have the protection. I am now a bun sleeper, a loose bun. You don't want it too tight. All of you, oh. I'm looking at you three people right now, put it in a loose bun on the top of your head. Is it giving you a cool neck? Ooh. Ah, just the coolest neck. Coolest nice. neck in town, Alonzo. We love a cool <laughs> neck. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, as you know, we have a many illustrious guests, and of course, today is no different it is writer, another one of my favorite film critics, another one of America's best film critics, and the co-host of Linoleum Knife, Dave White. What's good? Woohoo, Dave White. Well, before I tell you what's good, I need to let you know, and this is not necessarily, I'm not trying to rat out my male spouse here, but he only recommended that ice cream so he could say the expression, in your grocer's freezer. <laughs> That was just an added bonus. No, this is his 70s TV commercial obsession is coming through. When I heard him say that, I thought, that's why you picked that. That was, that yeah. was icing on the cake. Okay. Uh, well, uh, hello, everyone. My what's good uh, for you is a local Los Angeles band that is coming up in the world. Their name is Calm. You spell it Q-A-A-L-M. They are an atmospheric doom metal band. They are 
uh, sometimes melodic, always brutal and extremely heavy. They have an album called Resilience and Despair. It is my kind of thing. And uh, if it's your kind of thing, this is a band you should listen to. I literally, that's almost word for word what I would have written if I was doing a script of what if Dave was our guest and I had to write a what's good for him. <laughs> First, I'm going to have a, a a melodic doom band called Calm with the Q and two A's. <laughs> that was perfect. Way to be you, Dave. Thank you. <laughs> of all the Charlie Browns in the world. <laughs> What's good if he? Oh man, uh, you know what's good with me. But uh, I have a what's good. But you know, with a great, great metal recommendation, I have to go with my favorite metal finding as of recently, which is a Japanese metal band called Hanabi, H A N A B I E, which mixes like cutesy anime sounds uh, because, and then they'll just go into like guttural screams. Uh, and truly, uh, I've been enjoying it and blasting it. It's been in my gym playlist. They rock. So definitely shout out, you know, get that in. We're going to set up your metal rotation, but my current, what's good is, you know, today it's March 24th. I'm getting ready to, uh, go watch John wick chapter four and, you know, really excited to see, because after scream topped the charts two weekends in the row, Shazam could not dethrone it. Uh, I'm hoping that this weekend is the one that John wick is the one that dethroned scream six. So, you know, I, I, that's my guess for the weekend, you know, cause we already seen what has happened thus far, but my guess is that this weekend Scream 6 will finally be dethroned and John Wick Chapter 4 will take the top. It's going to be a two-weekend run. <laughs> just just say we taped this early. Uh, <laughs> look, when, when I nail it, when I nail it. <laughs> uh, look, Creed 3 is still going to be topping the box office and you're going to be really embarrassed about it. Well, you know, that I'd be happy with. Uh, you know, just, you know, the, the recent, uh, you know, re- revelations of one Zachary Levi. I'm like, all right, the Shazam train uh, needs to be stopped. Uh, <laughs> 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 Which is funny because it was just accessible to anyone. We just, no one really watches the Joe Rogan podcast, so we didn't know. <laughs> like, that's the only reason we didn't know. <laughs> it was hiding in plain yeah, sight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, if you haven't figured out by now, it's our first episode of the Max Fun Drive. And this year, we're giving Dre and Alonzo a chance to respond to the Fishikude collection with movie selections of their own. First up, to compliment Pacific Rim, we took a look at the 1968 Kaiju Battle Royale, Destroy All Monsters. And later on, we'll evolve some Kaiju of our own dastardly design. But first, in lieu of Ididik, we're going to go back in time for a tech check. The movie we watched for today is from 1968, but it's set at the end of the 20th century. In the English dub, the year is named 1999, and boy did the filmmakers have big dreams for how far technology would progress in 30 years. So instead of our usual edict today, we're going to take a look at what was actually happening in technology uh, news back in 1999. And I suppose in addition to saying if it was important and if we still care, we can say if we remember this news happening. Uh, this is, so, I enjoyed this segment a lot, and this is also just a, 
oh, please make sure you're clear on your ages because there's no answer to this that doesn't like situate you exactly where you were in time and space at that moment. There's no hiding. Indeed. Oh, yeah. They're delicate framing. Well, yeah, especially with Yahoo, who bought GeoCities for $3.65 billion on January 28th, 1999, which was a great purchase because in the year of our Lord, 2023, GeoCities is still a thing. Oh, a fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was late kind of on the internet game, and I got we got our first computer in 1996, and GeoCities was already not a happening thing by then. <laughs> I, yeah, so 99 was the year that I had just moved to Los Angeles, and half of, oh, twinsies, half of the things on here, I'm like, oh, didn't know about that, didn't know about that, mostly because that was also, uh, and fittingly, my most poor, entering mm. my poorest phase, although I was not really bringing it in as a college student either, but living in Los Angeles and like working as a PA and an intern and scrambling. I'm like, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't keeping up on uh, what technology was available. Like I was trying to figure out if I should pay my rent or my phone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I definitely do remember these though. So one of the first ones on here, um, mm-hmm. Rim released the BlackBerry and the BlackBerry OS on January 19th, 1999. I don't remember that release, but I do remember those days when you were either, you solidly identified as a BlackBerry person or an iPhone person. Like, I just remember BlackBerry people being way more about BlackBerry life. And it was like Los Angeles versus San Francisco. Like, no one in L.A. notices or cares about San Francisco, but San Francisco's like, I hate you. I hate you, Los Angeles. What a terrible town. And Los An- I was like, oh, San Francisco's BlackBerry. Like, Well, th- this is a few years before the iPhone happened, so this was like BlackBerry oh, was right. it. And, oh, yeah. and I remember my first friend who oh, had okay. one was like, a phone with a keyboard? You can access the internet? What? True. You know, so who knew? Maybe it is. Your- That's a good point. I had forgotten that they had released separately. That's how much iPhone's taken over my brain. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I was just going to talk about Napster. That's something I have a strong memory of. It was founded June 1st, 1999. And, you know, single-handedly created Soldier Boy. Uh, If you don't know, Soldier Boy's (laughs) rise to fame was he would upload like songs people were looking for but then be rapping on it like he would change the name and that's how people learned yeah that's how people learned who he was because they were trying to download other music and then hearing soldier boy (laughs) like he technically created um that is kind of genius i never knew that whenever i think of soldier boy which is Never. But whenever I think of Soulja Boy, um, I think of my niece and nephew who were much younger at the time and look like like the blondest Von Trapps you've ever seen. And they were obsessed with Superman. They would do that like Superman like dance thing. And I'm like, oh, don't ever let anyone with a camera watch you do that. Like, <laughs> it's too embarrassing. So I have to say, a thing that I, I still love doing is going onto YouTube and watching old like 70s and 80s commercials. And nothing gives me a pang of, oh, y'all just never got this right than seeing an old Radio Shack commercial. Want to open a world of possibilities for your kids? Go to Radio Shack for this compact Presario 5477. With easy one-touch internet access, Intel Celeron processor at 500 megahertz, color printer, scanner, and compact monitor, there's no telling just how far they'll go. 
Like mm-hmm. wh- whatever it is they're trying to push, their their electronic games, their their cordless phones, it just all seemed already out of date and clunky and embarrassing. And I had completely forgotten about this one. Uh, to get more people to adopt the internet, Microsoft and Radio Shack announced they would team up to put a Microsoft store within a store inside 7,000 Radio Shack locations across the U.S. Quote, customers could see demonstrations of and sign up for MSN dial-up or broadband internet access. Like, I, I want to roll my eyes at that, but I absolutely remember, and it was years after this, when Google came about and you're like, you can search for things? You could search for yourself? Yeah. <laughs> the idea, I would probably have gone into a store to see what the internet looked like. Well, because before Google, there was like, there was Yahoo and there was... Uh, Ask Jeeves. Ask Jeeves, yes. I uh, Ask Jeeves, all sorts of things. My Simon, Netscape, uh, or Internet Explorer. Yeah, like all kinds of, you know, and now we have Bing, so, you know. Bing. My Radio Shack, your description of their ads is also the vibe I got whenever I went inside a Radio Shack. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm surrounded. Oh, I was just going to bring that up, Marissa. Kind of heartbreaking. Like, I am surrounded by new exciting tech, and yet this store feels so old. Marissa just brought up, and I was going to ask if at the same time, those AOL CD, CD-ROMs. Ooh, in the mail. So that you would use to get online, and that you would get like a thousand of them. I feel yeah, like Yeah, there's, there's an island in the Pacific made up of AOL uh, CD-ROM discs that people threw out. It's the island from Joe versus the Volcano. <laughs> well, as Alonzo said, we moved here in 1999 together. He, uh, dragged me to Los Angeles from <laughs> from Texas. And um, as the uh, Nick Offerman survivalist of this home, <laughs> I was in on the Y2K preparation yes. uh, well before the masses decided to freak out about it. I immediately, upon moving here, was thinking, if the world comes to an end on New Year's Eve, we're going to need water, and canned food and a lot of batteries. <laughs> so I was stocking up on those things. And I felt by by January, by December 30th, I thought, we're ready. We Whatever happens. Now, we do not own a gun. Please don't come try to rob us in the night because we will be defenseless. But there we'll were throw batteries moments in, in my head where I thought, do we need firearms? And when I would bring it up, he would say, no, of course not. No, that's not happening ever. Because Dave has a tendency to wake up in a startled manner sometimes when I come into the bedroom at night. <laughs> and I just don't, the thought of him having a gun at the side of his I'm bed. I'm a light sleeper. Shooting first, thinking later. It's, it's going to go well very lifetime for you. Yeah. Very woman in peril. Yep. But yeah, no, Y2K was totally a thing that year. And then... Uh, I felt like my purpose had... That really come along. <laughs> I just remember like <laughs> early in the day when like the first midnight happened in like Malaysia or somewhere on the international dateline and nothing happened. It was kind of like, I, I think we're okay. And you still have cans of beans from <laughs> 1999, don't you? They're well, only swelling. They've been replaced bit. by all the COVID cans of beans. <laughs> yeah. It's a constant rotation. Um, and yeah. if you were like, you know. Oh look, I was I was up and at um I was eleven first off and foremost. Okay. I was uh, preteen, uh, you know, living my mm. best life. Uh, this is probably about a year or two. Actually, I think two or three years before the FBI comes to my house for having cyber sex online. Um, <laughs> oh, 
And that's a story for another day. I was it's say, a story I want to hear. We need an entire episode on that. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, right there. <laughs> yeah. So this that's that's how technology impacted me. Uh, oh my god! That's the most iffy reveal. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I guess you know? we'll talk about that when we get to a 2003 episode. Yeah. 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 We'll get to it. <laughs> So I guess, uh, you know, I I think on that note, uh, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, will we destroy all monsters? You'll find out. And maybe the FBI, because they might still be listening to me. (laughs) Iffy, you just went full iffy. Wow. (laughs) Okay, everybody. It is Max Fun Drive 2023, our favorite time of year, the time of every year when we come to you to say thank you to our supporting members and to ask you to think about what your favorite shows mean to you. And if they mean a lot, could you maybe put a dollar amount to it? Say like $5 a month, which is less than a box of Girl Scout cookies, which is a nice way to treat yourself and isn't listening to us a treat for yourself. So maybe- Zero calories. Right? It's uh, a food-free reward. Um, You could maybe really want to treat yourself like $10 a month or $3 a month. It's very flexible, um, and it's really reflecting what we mean to you. Look, I do truly appreciate uh, y'all, you know, supporting us and who have, uh, you know, thought of supporting us. It allows us to keep doing what we do and the ways we do it. And every time we get to hang with y'all and see y'all when we went up to Lake Arrowhead and I got to eat with some of y'all, y'all got to see the gross way I eat food. Uh, it truly makes me uh, feel a truly a part of a community so uh you know if you feel like you have the bearings to you know throw a couple shekels our way uh we will gratefully accept it and thank you and that's why we you know put a lot of effort into doing some extra max fun uh centric stuff for you this month and also gave you a little boco bonus content i learned that today if you want to join Maximum Fun, if you want to boost your membership, or if you want to take a look at the great thank you gifts we have on offer this year, head to MaximumFun.org slash join. And sincerely, thank you. Welcome back to Maximum Film. I'm your host, Ify Whitey-Way, and in the studio with me are... Drea Clark. Dave White. Alonso Duralde. And today's movie premiered in Japan in 1968, and an English dub hit American theaters the next year. It is the ninth film in Toho's Godzilla franchise and was directed by Ishiro Honda, who directed eight Godzilla movies overall, including the original. So Alonzo, would you mind giving us a brief synopsis of Destroy All Monsters? Uh, Yeah, so, you know, sorry, uh, Avengers uh, Endgame, Uh, make room for Monster Island. This is where all the stars come out to play. Um, This is set in the the near future, 30 years after uh, the Godzilla films had been taking place in Japan. Um, An alien race appears and they plan to conquer the Earth by taking control of all of the monsters who live together in sort of harmony on Monster Island. They are dispatched to various corners of the earth where they attack cities like Paris and Moscow and New York, which was pretty unprecedented for the series at this point. Uh, but eventually they have to band together to uh, battle back the aliens and preserve uh, Earth for, for, for humanity. 
in uh, in the thrilling and still never beaten destroy all monsters. <laughs> yes, indeed. Okay, so this was you know your answer to uh, Pacific Rim. So what made you choose this film for that? Well, uh, this is like this is sort of a, a, a cornerstone movie for Dave's and my entire relationship. Yo, uh, like we're 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 big fans of it. We had we we were big fans of it before we met, and and it's a, a film that we keep coming back to. Um, but yeah, I, I think if you're going to talk about kaiju and you're going to talk about um, you know uh, uh, larger than life forces, uh, this is this is I think the sweet spot of the entire mm. uh, genre. Yeah. It's somehow, no. I, I mean, it's really hard to think of how anything could top P- Pacific Rim. Yeah. And yet, <laughs> and yet. Well, you know, this is, this is what I like. Uh, you know, the one reason I say Pacific Rim is a perfect movie is because it, it, it delivers on all its promises. And I got to say. Destroy All mm. Monsters does the same. Destroy All Monsters promises that we're going to get some them, some monsters and they're going to be scrapping. And uh, we get to see King Ghidra get stomped out, which, you know, truly a gif of the century. I definitely can't wait to go load this up and make sure that is my gif. Uh, yeah, I, like I don't, I don't know what the WrestleMania equivalent is of this, but I mean, this is just like everyone's in the ring. It's the Royal yeah. Rumble, right? Oh yeah, it's solid. Yeah, this is the <laughs> this is the big papa of Godzilla movies. It is a direct, you know, a direct line can be drawn from this to Pacific Rim, honestly, and to every other, you know, giant monster television show or movie that came after. You know, uh, kaiju, you know, wound up becoming a weekly event on the Ultraman series. And there have been so many Ultraman series that you would think they've run out of ideas for Kaiju. They have not. (laughs) And so this is, this is the film where they finally gathered all the various Toho uh, studio monsters and added a few new ones and gave them a darker mission than you had previously seen. Like the first Godzilla movie came out and it was clearly a dark minded film and it was about nuclear devastation and the consequences of that. As the series went on, they became much more lighthearted, much more child friendly, much more, you know, uh, comedic at times and full of, you know, goofy, fantastic elements. Godzilla stopped being a, 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 a force of, of destruction and became honestly a friend of children everywhere. And you see him destroying New York in this film. You think, wait, what has happened to my Godzilla, my friend? And then you realize that the Kelax, the sparkly space ladies have come and they are controlling him remotely. And as they say to the to the stunned scientists in the film who are like, how could you do this to the cities of Earth? She just says, well, we're taking over and certain sacrifices must be made. <laughs> I did love the very low-key fact that um, it's not just an evil alien race, but a very specifically female-run alien race. Like, yeah. of pretty ladies... I would kill for one of those sparkly cloak things. That's right. Fashionable. I would wear the hell out of that. Um, And I mean, in their defense, I would also try and take over the planet if given mind control powers. So fair enough. But it was funny that this super 
there's a lot of bro energy to a certain kind of like kaiju or like oh i collect all this stuff so like yeah yeah huh i feel like there's a lot of viewers of this that would not appreciate the camper elements of (laughs) sparkly ladies as the bad people and then jesse but it also made me remember the sad you like you brought up the avengers which i hadn't thought of of like oh yeah i do love that we've been introduced to these things and now they're all together and the similarities to pacific rim of Oh, yeah, like you meet each kaiju and you learn what it does and what it looks like and where it sort of lives in the ecosystem of kaiju or whatever. Um, Yo, this movie made me understand because this was the first time I saw it. And I was like, oh, "Oh, you know what heavily references this movie? Dude, where's my car? And (laughs) the fact that I was able to draw that line from A to B, I I don't know. I'm not proud of that. But it's definitely in my head now. Just walk us through this. Oh, how, how so? I need. How I need so to... that the 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 bad guys in Dude Where's My Car are also beautiful women, who <laughs> who like eradicate with mind control. Who are like that's right. You that's do right. you do what I that. say. Yeah, I like it. you guys didn't see that reference coming, did you? No, no. Keeping you on your toes. <laughs> I've also seen that movie about a thousand times, but. Not for 20 years now. Dude, where's my car? <laughs> yeah. Um, so this, like I said, this was my first time seeing this. I'd seen like the original Godzilla. I've seen, there's many of them. I've seen a yeah. couple of them in different ways. Um, but I know like you guys, all of, all three of you have, you go, you go back with this. Like you mentioned this being part of your sort of relationship shaping. And I know if he's like, if he's a big Godzilla guy. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm a big, I'm a big Japanese media weeb. Some would say, um, but yeah, some would I'd, say if they knew what weeb meant, I, they would definitely I, say my Godzilla started more with the recent ones, and I've started going mm. back. So the yep. the big mm. book that you've seen uh, in Alonzo's photo, I have that book, and so I've kind of been going through that. So that's why I haven't got this yet. Funny enough. Emily, I was, she was like, oh, yeah, no, I've seen this. You didn't see it? And I was like, okay, first off, relax. Second <laughs> off, uh, yeah, because she said that it was one of the films she watched in her cinema courses. So I was like, so this, so I was like, oh, okay. And it's interesting kind of watching, because when you watch it now, it is funny seeing like all the little miniatures and all the suits and all that stuff. But then you remember that it was like 1968. So, I'm I'm just kind of curious what the perception to this was of the time. Were they like this is amazing, or were they like all right? This was a big hit, actually. Uh, the The series was this was kind of intended to maybe end it all. Like the 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 box office numbers had been dropping. People were less interested. They were kind of sloughing these movies off as kind of kiddie adventures, and they were trying more aggressively to make them international by like having an American actor, you know, in one of these movies or whatever. And this one was just kind of like, well, let's just, well, they literally threw everything at the wall. Like, they, we'll use all the monsters we've already got. We'll, we'll have a few more. We're going to refurb or just, like, repair the costumes we have. So they were trying to, like, cut corners whenever possible. But the formula worked so well that it actually became one of the big global hits, even though there's no outward effort to try and like you know make this an international co-production by giving you you know richard jekyll or you know some some you know um 
North American actor to appeal to that audience. But but people just loved it because they loved the amalgamation of everything. And while we can't, I can't personally, I'm the oldest person in this room right now. Uh, and <laughs> I, I cannot speak, <laughs> I cannot speak to how adult audiences received this movie in 1968. But what wound up happening in the United States and I'm sorry, I'm about to digress for a little bit and give you all some cinema exhibition history. But in the 1960s and 1970s, there was a very specific thing that that took place. And it, it started a little earlier than the 60s, and it went into the 80s. But the, the children's film matinee circuit uh, happened in movie theaters all over the country. And it was sort of the tail end of an era where parents could drop their children off at a movie theater and leave them for the afternoon unchaperoned. So you'd have a movie theater full of little kids kind of, you know, running amok if the movie wasn't good, but sitting in their seats, really paying attention if it was. And I was a seven-year-old in 1972. One, two, yeah. And this film would come back over and over again, as would all the other Godzilla films um, and giant monster films and and many other things. There were, uh, MGM had a very specifically branded uh, series called (coughs) MGM, MGM Children's Matinees. And they would show old repertory MGM films like Lassie Come Home and National Velvet and, you know, stuff like that. Uh, Paramount did the same thing. They would show Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and the animated Charlotte's Web. AIP, which is where a a lot of the Godzilla Toho films wound up being distributed by in the U.S., they brought that stuff to these children's matinee circuits. The films would get booked over and over again on Saturday and Sunday afternoons, your parents would give you the 50 cents it cost for a ticket and you would go. Um, So there was this, there was lots of uh, vintage hammer horror films, uh, some of the less lurid and sexual (laughs) ones, but all those films were released as G-rated films. So it kind of, some real creepy, weird stuff creeped in under the you know, under the guise of it's a kitty matinee, you know. So what would happen is you would just get to watch these movies again and again if you felt like it. You would say, oh, Destroy All Monsters. It was here last year. I love that movie. I'm going to go see it again. So that is how I spent my childhood. I was that little kid who begged, basically demanded that my parents drop me off at the movie theater. I did not want to run around outside and play sports with the other kids in the neighborhood. I did not want to watch sports on television on Saturday afternoon with my father. I wanted them to take me to the movies, and they did. And it was the perfect time in history for that to happen because I learned how to watch movies from watching those films, this wide variety of films, all aimed at children. And this was one of them. So... The whole thing that Alonzo and I talk about sometimes, the was it great or were you eight? This meets both criteria. <laughs> <laughs> I was eight and, I, and it was great 
and the Criterion Collection has backed me up because <laughs> they put out that big book that if he was just talking about, this film is currently streaming on the Criterion channel. It is a gorgeous movie. The production design is impeccable. Mm. The colors, the sets, those scale models of literally everything <laughs> happening. Anytime there's an adult human in the room, that's some sort of little stage that they're on. But if they're outside... <laughs> They're not anywhere. <laughs> Those are little so tiny models, and they were so perfectly designed. Everything about this movie is exciting. It goes from activity to activity. As we talked just before, the sparkly space ladies, they come in, and they are so slyly malevolent. They've always got a little smirk on their face. The main one sort of glides in and glides out like she's on a spikely double dolly. It is, for all I know, that's where he got the idea. <laughs> you know, like, it is a magnificent movie. And I will I will defend it until I'm dead. <laughs> Producer Marissa put in the, in the questions, did you first see it in dubs or subs? And I'm like, oh, you have no idea how recent a phenomenon subs is for this kind of right. thing. Right, yeah. When we were kids and these movies showed up as a kitty matinee or on television or on VHS, subtitles were not an option. Like, right. you just, you got the dub and you liked it. You got the English dub. It was just that thing where the mouths didn't line up. Whereas then I watched you, the subtitled version care. and it was noteworthy that, like, there's a... A white dude that I think is the, uh, like, American, English, who who knows. Right. But he's also, he's dubbed in Japanese. He's dubbed so in reading, Japanese, yeah. You're reading subtitles of him, and it's a nice thing. Dave, I want you to know that I have to assume all of the kids whose parents took them to the movies on the weekend, drove them there with them sitting in the back, like the bed of the pickup, or in like yep. the part of the the, the no seatbelt having um, yes. station wagon, yep. yeah. Or they rode their bikes with no helmets. Love it. Yes. Big that fan is, of that time. That was the treacherous seventies, y'all. <laughs> uh, one of my very favorite memories of um, programming the USA Film Festival in Dallas in the nineties. We did a, a children's festival every January called Kid Film. And I would get to do some repertory titles as part of that. And we screened this beautiful 35 print of Destroy All Monsters. And it was like, by this point, it was the dads were getting to be like our age and bringing their kids to see it for the first time. And there was this adorable little like four-year-old girl. She's wearing a, like a dress. And she was, it was very, just very pretty. And I just remember looking over toward the end of the movie. And she was literally jumping up and down in her theater seat with excitement for the big climactic battle. And I just thought, Cinema! The battle's great, and I'd love to hear from you guys of how that stacks up with other things, because, like, you have this whole, you have this smooth intro where they're like, oh, they are all living in harmony together, <laughs> yeah. and also it's, a, it's like, a prison. <laughs> like, they're living, um, like, battery-controlled, but, like, by the human governments or whatever, like, penned in, blah, blah, blah. And then the aliens mind control, and then they're like, taking over and like stomping different cities and then it ends with this big thing of like oh well first off we're gonna see them be cognizant of what's happening and the monsters start to like 
they get freed of the mind control and then they find and then to the like ooh, the aliens are really going to show them and they bring king whatever that if he just said and they're they all go ham but there is something so so charming about how tactile the suits are and it is a funny split between being kind of like goofy and diy and you know like oh like you know i mean they're all of the suits are built like you see the human it's not like oh is that a person in this is definitely a person in there (laughs) but there's also it's not meant to be funny it's not barney right like it's it's meant to be doing something else but how 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 did that like finale hit for you guys especially when you're more familiar i don't i know like mothra i don't know Mm -hmm. a ton of them well, I, I want to hear Ify's take on this because, like I said, Dave and I grew up with this movie and with mm. these other movies where that was the aesthetic of the monsters. They were those rubbery zipper back outfits, whatever. And 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 I didn't understand that when I was seven. It seemed like a real monster. Yeah. So sure. there you go. I, I had to come to that later. But, yeah. but so, you know, Ify kind of working backwards from, I, I'm imagining the 98 Godzilla was uh, impactful oh, yeah. for you. Well, also, you know, they I've had the training wheels with all the Power Rangers, which is the shipped uh, over ooh, Super Sentai, Sentai stuff right? yeah. that they, yeah. So if you didn't know, Power Rangers are just all the Sentai uh, shows that are in Japan, and then they sh- it shoot the interstitial stuff with American actors. And so I, I was big into a big bag of Beetleborgs, which was based off of a bug-type Sentai show, and, the, and everyone's always like, it was so good. Why wasn't there more? Because the show was canceled in Japan. That's why. So they, were, they, they just had no more to do it. But then you had, you know, Common Rider, which didn't really take off over here. We had the Masked Rider, and then it really didn't come back. But then I would go and watch the dub versions of that and Ultraman. And then they had the Ultraman 7, which was the adult themed Ultraman. So I'm like locked in in the in the world of like guy guy in a suit around you know the <laughs> the the miniature city but it is interesting going back to where and, and it really makes you appreciate the more contemporary stuff because when you look at this one you're like oh yeah this one is more like these these are little toy cars these are toy helicopters but honestly i am still impressed by some of the figure work because there's a shot in the helicopter where it does look like someone's actually in a helicopter and then it comes down and you're like, Oh no, that's, <laughs> that's still there. So I can appreciate it. And I still like really enjoyed it. The story was really intense. I think with a lot of the Godzilla I had, the focus was on the monster and the human ele- element was secondary. And this is one of the films where the human ele- element is like, entwined you have them like the monsters are being used against them by this alien race they're actively trying to stop them they're getting their ass kicked the whole time until they finally win which is also something funny because i feel like you know american movies they're like we got to win a little bit and then we lose and then we win like it's (laughs) but but like every like like japanese gods they're like no we're fine with getting our ass kicked the whole movie until we win (laughs) that's such a good point oh god there there was recently the um which we got a two-night release of it in the u.s the shin ultraman from the people that did Shin godzilla and i'm dying to see it i didn't get to go to during the brief fathom thing so i'm hoping we get like a blu-ray or something of that soon 
please. Um, you know, look, we're going to put our heads together. Alonzo, Dave, when Vidiot's open, we're definitely going to have to get a kaiju night going. Oh, uh, hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, Maggie has uh, promised she'll let me put together some curated nights, and I'm ready to make her regret it. Uh, you know, <laughs> We already locked in the horny festival where we try and find the horniest movies. Uh, and then we have Kaiju night. Uh, you know, it's, it's going to be great. Trust me. Believe me. Support vidiots. <laughs> vote. Vote. Let's see. Yeah, vote. Let's vote. Let's vote. Dave, as you know, we, uh, we grade everything here as a screen it, stream it, or skip it. Screen it, then stream it, then screen it again if you can. Watch it every month for the rest of your life <laughs> i i can't disagree with that but yes i'm absolutely a screen it um and and it is one that you know yes watch it on criterion channel they have a beautiful transfer of it but if you can see it projected maybe you will see a small child jumping up and down in a chair out of sheer excitement and so. there are pleasures to be had in both the subtitled and the dubbed versions they become in terms of their communicative powers, two different things. So watch both. I love that. Um, this would be a stream it for me only like flavor wise. I think this movie is, like I said, charming. It is excellent for what it is. It is just not my flavor all the time. Um, but that said, it is my favorite of these that I've seen. And I actually... I voted stream it, but I would go see it on a big screen because it does look fantastic. If you're hearing this and you're picturing those scenes in Arrested Development where like Michael or George Michael or whatever is like stomping on things behind their little home in the development court. It's not that like there's so much thought and fun that went into this. Um, also, incredibly attractive cast. I think it's always nice to mention that. So yeah, just indeed. really good-looking people. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, which is a bonus. It's a bonus for anything. Mm-hmm. Ify, I think it's down to you. It's down to me? Well, this one I really had to think on and really give the answer. Of course, it's going to be a screener for me. What do you mean? You know, this is a banger movie, the great pick. I'm really excited to see your other Ify Shakude collection pairings because off to a great start. I'm I'm hyped about it. Uh, yeah, good stuff. So well, um, I watched it on HBO Max. I think I think it's streaming a bunch of places in addition to Criterion. Nice. Oh, I watched it on YouTube. It's on YouTube for free. The Kid. full movie. Yeah, yep. amazing. Tubi, yeah. um, one of Alonzo's networks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just yeah. read that Fox was offered $2 billion for Tubi, and they said no. Really? Oh, no. Alonzo, you could have had so much Tony Lonely Chocolate or whatever for for your <laughs> cut of that. Clearly, I'm not the only one who's who's wild about it. I know. that's, But it's interesting that they didn't sell it, which means that they got plans. They got Tubi. plans. Yeah, yeah. It's, on, it's on Plex. It's on Freebie, um, Pluto TV, Shout TV, Crackle. Yeah, it's all over the place. Yes. Well, you know, while you go look up which way you want to ingest this, if you are going to watch it after listening to the review, uh, we're going to be right back after this important message. Hi, my name is Pella Felton, and I'm a um, podcast uh, scholar and longtime Maximum Fun listener. And my favorite show is Maximum Film. 
I've been listening to this show since the very beginning in its previous iteration name, and it's one of the rare shows that has such a continuity of human interaction and kindness that it's been able to seamlessly transition from many different humans seamlessly because they've been so generous with their time and microphones and getting perspective on films that aren't just the same four white guys that I've been hearing before in a time where it's more than ever important to be listening to trans voices. Um, I felt really, really welcome within this community from the very beginning to the point where Drea and Alonzo and Ify at this point don't even, they feel more like friends. I was thinking about this yesterday. I was watching uh, the movie Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar um, on my birthday this week, which has become a tradition. And I just kept thinking about how grateful I was that um, I was able to have a podcast in my life like Maximum Film that was sharing something and that it could be a part of my life. And now every time I think of watching that movie, I think of my relationship with Maximum Film. And it is the trish of my podcasting listening experience. Thanks. I can't begin to think that I could live up to being the Trish of anyone's podcast experiences, but that is so sweet, Pella. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening and, and you know, contributing to the Facebook group. It's It's been great to have you as part of the community here. And uh, I'm genuinely moved. That, that, that That's a, a lovely testimony about the show. Thank you. Um, I just burst into many tears. Obviously, there's no higher honor that can be bestowed upon me than a Trish comparison. To me, a woman named Trish is a woman you can count on. Trish at Christmas? She, Forget it. <laughs> she just really has her act together. Athletic, natural. Oh my gosh. Pella, that's wonderful. The idea that people listen to us at all still blows my mind. The idea that people feel any meaningful connection to us and take away and appreciate us as people and fellow movie lovers and sort of scholars some of us more than others is really meaningful so thank you and hopefully other listeners feel the same way and want to jump in at this point and officially support us yeah. also as patrons of a sort um and if again if you join or upgrade um you also get gifts above and beyond our voices and wonderful personalities and amazing accent work um at five dollars a month you get access to all the network bonus content and if you bump up to a $10 level, you can opt to get new, amazing, high-quality, replaceable sticker with our adorable faces drawn onto mm -hmm. it. And you, if you join or upgrade to $20 a month, you'll get a custom Max Fun Spice Blend and a cookbook, including recipes from across the network also one by me. That's right. I did a recipe for Minnesota lemon bars and I put it right in there and I feel very excited. You guys know how much I do not cook, but I make a mean lemon bar and now you can As make it As a Trish yourself. would. 
as a Trish, as Trish Sherwood. Um, and at $35 a month, you can bring the whole culinary package together with your very own Maximum Yum apron, which is Trey Adorable. Super adorable. Won't you please join us as a member uh, with a new upgraded or gift membership? You can do all of that at MaximumFun.org slash join. Welcome back to Maximum Film. I'm your host, Ify Wadiway. In the studio with me are Alonzo Duralde, Dave White, Drea Clark. In Destroy All Monsters, we see 11 kaiju come together in battle. Most of the kaiju seem pretty clearly based on dinosaurs or other animals. Angrius is like an Ankylosaurus, and Manda is kind of like a serpent or snake. Mothra is some kind of caterpillar. If you could evolve a kaiju from any animal or dinosaur, what would you pick? And what would you call the resulting creature? What would their main fighting power be? Time to answer this question that I've definitely answered many times. I love that you've thought of it many times, but also I'm assuming anyone who's listened to our show has an inkling of where I'm going because, of course, (laughs) mine is going to be based on a a cat. I mean, like, as a representative cat lady here, what would I be doing if I wasn't bringing feline-asaur or feline-ator or whatever to the table? Um, Skimbleshanks. Their main fighting power, uh, I also know that. I can tell you they can find the most sensitive part of anyone they are battling with to start kneading and making biscuits in, and it will be painful and adorable at the same time. Um, They will sit and knock over anything of importance. So if you're picturing this like bigger than a, a cityscape, see you in hell, skyscrapers. Felinator just took you out when they flopped over to start licking themselves. Um, And then I think what's going to be most hurtful to the other monsters is when those monsters ask Felinator, why are you so cute and how do I love you so much? And Felinator refuses to answer and then just blinks at them. And that is going to cut them. It's going to cut them deep. They're not going to know how to come back from that. Uh, I was also thinking about a passive-aggressive monster, but uh, rather than be sort of animal or lizard-based, I'm going to take a cue from The Last of Us. I'm thinking more fungal. Uh, And and this is, uh, uh, you know, uh, Akira Kubo, who plays the heroic pilot here in Destroy All Monsters, previously starred in an epic film called uh, Matango, the Fungus of Terror, which is a Japanese horror movie about people who are taken over by sentient mushrooms. Uh, So I'm thinking something where, you know, they can they 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 use the soil to to spread out and go wild Mm. and cover things up. Uh, but they'll also sort of release this cloud of spores that tells you all of these really hurtful things um, that just kind of tie into your deepest weaknesses and your your biggest <gasps> insecurities, and, and and you know it's it's going to be um, uh, bitch tango. I think maybe would be the name. I don't know. Oh, I'm still like workshopping that. that one. But yeah, I'm just I'm imagining like like some sort of a cloud of spores. And, and the just that really makes you feel bad about yourself. I do not Ooh. want to go up against that monster, Alonzo. No, it's pretty like, scary br- stuff. Br- bring on Mothra. I don't <laughs> want to deal with that. Dave, have you been thinking about this? I have been thinking about decades? it a lot. Um, as we've learned, 
through kaiju history. They don't have to be based on living things. Okay. You watch enough Ultraman, you see things that look like just crumbled brick walls <laughs> that have come to life. <laughs> Desks. And so, you know, a kaiju could be an armchair that just sits on you. But for the past few days, I've been obsessing over, do you all know the fashion label Rodarte? Yes. Okay. So I've been a fan of those two women, Kate and Laura Malavi, for a long time. Now, I look like a a, a plus-sized L.L. Bean catalog model, but I'm really into observing women's fashion as an art, you know, uh, uh, participation activity. And so I've been obsessing over the Rodarte Summerfall 2023 show that's been on Instagram (laughs) the past few days and it is devastating so like i'm i'm imagining that because the malavies are also filmmakers they made woodshock Mm -hmm. starring kirsten dunst a strange and spooky film um i'm imagining them making a kaiju movie and i'm imagining their kaiju being like gigantic dresses (laughs) that deliver deadly devastating looks and i I, I don't have a good name, so let's just call the the main kaiju that they create Flouncy. And it, you <laughs> you die because it's too beautiful. And so if anybody knows the Malavies, tell them that's what I need. I need that from their future filmmaking endeavors. A kaiju film that they create the kaiju, and it's somehow also fashion. Marissa and I are thinking the same thing. I think Rodarte already sounds like a kaiju. It kind of does. But it's, it's a family name, uh, I believe. Dave White, look at you keeping us on our toes. Well, What you a freaking dreamboat, this guy. <laughs> In a million years, didn't see that coming. I could. I, I said I could write your what's good. I was not going to write yeah, I subscribe. I have a physical subscription to Vogue magazine. It shows up every month at our house. <laughs> Quit flirting with me. I'm, I'm not lying or making that up. I, uh, I genuinely subscribe I to Vogue magazine. I can't get enough of looking at the pretty dresses. I, me too. Yeah. I get it. I love it. Oh, mm. my God. If he try and top that. Yeah. Well, you know, mine is going to be the Praying Mandrake, which is a giant uh, purple uh, four-armed dinosaur, which has a like thick metal-looking plate on its chest. But what it does, what you don't know, is that that isn't a plate. It's its two mandibles that it can zet, you know, stab at you with, like a praying mantis claw. And then on the back is a big flowery bushel instead of a, 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 a tail. And when it waves it from side to side, it makes other kaijus uh, hypnotized, uh, making it easy for them to get in close and stab them up. Um, So you have a kaiju with dat ass is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Uh. And when it twerks, it hypnotizes you. You know, you got to stay on brand even with your kaiju. (laughs) We'd expect no less. Amazing. Well, look. Now, uh, you know, it's all up to y'all to do the fan art of them fighting. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I await your amazing design, you know, should you choose to accept it. Uh, <laughs> but I guess uh, I guess we'll keep it rolling and uh, get those staff picks. It could be any movie at all, which I'll got. All right. I went with a film that is technically, I think, has a kaiju monster in it. And also, 
it's just the title. That's right. 2010's Monsters, um, which was Gareth Edwards' directorial debut. We showed this at LA Film Fest. Um, and I got to do a Q&A for it. And I was so taken. It was like my favorite kind of debut. It's m maybe $500,000 low budget. It looks phenomenal. And Gareth Edwards also was like... The DP, the production designer, his whole thing, he cast an actual couple played by, or they're, I don't believe they're any longer together, but they were then, um, Scoot McNary and Whitney Abel, who play a couple who are in Mexico in a future where a giant wall has been erected, and there are monsters on the other side, and the Americans are trying to get back to the other side of the border, and so... There's political metaphor, there's whatever, but it's so ominous and creepy and they shot everything on the road and would like find an amazing location and flip through the script. And it was just like a, a literal hand, like a car full of crew and be like, this looks great. Let's shoot this scene here. And then he also did the FX for it. And when you see the monsters, finally, like it's this beautiful slow reveal, but I very much enjoyed it. I think it's a great film. It's currently on Amazon Prime and able to rent in all sorts of places. And uh, for any of you who watched, he uh, Gareth, of course, then went on and did the 2014 Godzilla. He also directed Rogue One, which many people have lots of thoughts on. My thought is that I enjoyed it. So, monsters. Well, uh, to, to, to follow up with that... Um, I was not the biggest fan of, of Gareth Edwards' Godzilla, but one that I really did love and that gave me a lot of the the same feels that I get out of Destroy All Monsters um, was uh, the Michael Doherty 2019 Godzilla King of the Monsters, which to me really felt like of the neo-Godzilla movies coming out of American studios anyway, not counting the ones they're still been doing in Japan that really got it. I, I, I thought that this was a movie that, that pleased the kaiju lover in me and gave me the moments that I wanted, the battles that I wanted, the level of human drama and impact that, that was, you know, uh, I, I thought like that worked for the story, but didn't get too bogged down in it. And I don't know that any of the other ones have really nailed that balance. Like Godzilla versus Kong. There's not nearly enough Godzilla in it. Um, you know, but I think Godzilla King of the Monsters, even though the reviews weren't great, the box office was not what it should have been for those films, uh, I still stand. And I think it's a really fun movie. And if you like these old school 60s, you know, the original batch of kaiju movies, you should check out uh, 2019's Godzilla King of the Monsters. So I'm a big fan of the Spanish filmmaker Albert Serra. He directs films that are often historically based. Sometimes they're mind bending sometimes they're in there are sometimes they're inscrutable and i love him this is called pacifiction it's currently in art house release and it is uh primarily in french it stars benoit Mejamel as a french government official who is sort of slouching his way very lazily through french polynesia he acts sort of like the unofficial mayor of the entire place. He mixes with the local people, especially uh, the mostly undressed dancers at a local hotel. And he begins to hear rumors that the French government is resuming the nuclear testing that they did there in the 1960s and 70s and 80s that had deadly health effects on the people who lived there. That's its connection to Godzilla. <laughs> Because that uh, was the original impetus for the first Godzilla film, the devastating consequences of uh, nuclear weapons. But this 
is different. It's a film about a sort of creeping atmospheric evil. And while in life that never seems to come as a surprise when it's the government that's doing it, here it is freshly unnerving and infuriating. And it happens very, very quietly. Uh, this is also my kind of film, in addition to <laughs> Destroy All Monsters. So it's called Pacifiction, and it's, uh, again, in art houses right now. That sounds Ooh. fantastic. All right. Well, you know, to close it out, you know, this is this is going to be, you know, we like a, a, a guest staff pick because uh M when she saw I was watching this uh she was like well this is the one I thought they might do and the one that I think you should check out is uh Colossal uh 2016's Colossal with uh one Annie Hathaway uh Jason Dacus uh you know D Stevens uh TBN uh Austin Stalwell you know the gang uh which uh yeah she said she saw it at Fantastic Fest uh and uh it was a good time, so I'm a, that's going to be one that I'm going to peep as well. I, I love that movie, and I believe it was my staff pick to Pacific Rim, but yeah. also we did discuss giving that as the uh, That was our Pacific possibility. Oh, really? Yes. It, yes, it was between these two. Ooh. So good job, Em. And also, <laughs> let me know what you think of Colossal. Fantastic. Oh, yeah, film. will do. Um, but thank you so much to Dave White. Any parting words for our listeners? Uh, well, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm always uh, pleased to uh, be on the microphone with my beloved uh, spouse, Alonzo Duralde. I mean, this guy, just dreamboat. Thanks for being here, Dave. Yeah. And I, like, literally, I could just sit and listen to you talk about anything, but <laughs> I was not expecting to learn a historical uh, fact like children being babysat by a movie theater. <laughs> yeah. What visual. I'll treasure that forever. It was a, it was a different time. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I want a plus one. It was the best of times. One. It was the worst of times. <laughs> Definitely want a plus one, Dre, on that. I can sit and listen to Alonzo and Dave talk about movies forever. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, there's no way to do that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <so. laughs> Sad, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We should have a podcast for oh, Foley, Foley, you had, uh, Foley. You, you could call it linoleum knife. It'd be great. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Check Definitely. that out. Say that again. Oh wow. Well, also Dre and Alonzo, thank you for another wonderful show. It's been it's been great. And hey, just a quick reminder: if you value this show and the place it holds in your life, your support doesn't just help us; it also helps everyone else out there whose life is improved by listening to us talk about movies for an hour every week. So head over to MaximumFun.org/join and help us hit our goal. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, tweet at us at Maximum underscore Film. Our Facebook group can be found at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Maximum Film or send us an email at MaximumFilm at MaximumFun.org. Our producer is the wonderful Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producer is our high texting, keeping that group chat alive. We love you, Laura Swisher. This is a production of Maximum Fun. Bye-bye. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.